0: Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Aren't we blessed with a great band, Lordship team, to lead us in worship? Uh, so thankful for them, and you see new faces. Um, and people that uh, feel led to come and be a part, we're so thankful for that. You know, there was a psychologist that once said that in order to be happy, the human soul needed to feel, feel safe, needed to feel clean, and needed to feel significance. He went on to say, what he meant by that was that in order to be happy, we had to have to feel this certain sense of security and freedom, and that we are valuable that we're not condemned, or that we need to walk around feeling shamed, But many people, the same psychologist said, are overshadowed by this lurking sense of judgment. And for some, it's because they've messed up. Well, for all of us, we have messed up. And uh, they may not be able to quite put their finger on it, they just know something's wrong. So imagine this picture of a human soul just going through life, and you have this voice inside of you that's telling you you're not good enough, and that if people saw who you really were, they wouldn't like you. In fact, that's why many people just wear a mask And we tend to wear a mask that we think that you want to see. And, you know, isn't it interesting that we we try to be who we think you want us to be, and then we find out you're not even thinking about us. Because you're too busy thinking about yourself. Well, David opens up in Psalms 32, he says this. Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. Some of your translations say blessed. Blessed are those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Complete honesty. Think, think about that. Think about some of your best, closest friends. There are some things you've never told them and never would. Think about your spouse. Now, there's a lot of things you've already figured out about each other, that, but chances are they may be some things that you have just are too ashamed to ever admit to. From your past. In Psalms, David is going to connect joy, happiness. He's going to connect it with forgiveness. He's going to say there is fact, something is wrong with you. And this feeling of shame that you have, this uneasiness that you feel, there's truth in that. Sometimes even though it may be distorted... And in order for you to be happy, we have to deal with that. And that we have, to, we have to find a way to confront that. But not in the way that we typically do. Verse 3. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. It aided at me. And I groaned all day long. Day and night, he's talking to God here, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength, it evaporated. It just was gone. Like water in the summer heat. Now, my translation says interlude. Some of your translations may say uh, selah which some theologians think that that means stop and think about what you just read. So we're going to assume that that's what it means. We're going to stop because it it says this in several places in Psalms 32. And each time we're going to stop and we're going to unpackage and think about what it said. So let's stop and think out loud for a bit. David connects this feeling of unhappiness, this sense of condemnation. He connects it to God. And uh, he, was cor- he was correct in doing so. When Adam and Eve first sinned, they felt shame immediately. They felt it. They, they felt shame in their nakedness. And that was a result of their sin a sense of shame that they were not right with God. And you and I feel the same thing. Now, not all shame is legitimate. Sometimes when a person's abused or has been sexually assaulted and they had no responsibility in that, it was something that happened to them, yet they will feel shame as if somehow it was their fault. Now, that's not a legitimate shame. That's a whole different thing. But there is legitimate shame that we feel because of our sins, our choices. And that's what we're dealing with in Psalms 32. And as strange as it may sound, the the realizing of our shame is actually a gift from Holy God. Guilt is not always bad. It's kind of like pain. When we think of pain, we think it's all bad, but pain is actually there to help you. Uh, There's a rare disorder, the initials for it are CIPA, Uh, where a person cannot feel pain. It's pretty rare. But the pain-sensing nerves in the individual are not properly connected to the parts of the brain that receive pain and the pain message. So that sounds nice, and that sounds like, wow, I would like to not feel the pain, the aches and the joints and stuff like that. But there is a serious danger in having that condition. You put your hand on a hot stove, And you feel no pain, but a lot of damage is being done to that hand if it just stayed there. Your pain is actually a gift in that it tells you something is wrong. So guilt can be God's messenger showing up and saying to you something's not right. And that is what David is experiencing. Maybe... um, you're finally at a place where you see the harm in your selfishness. Let, let's face that. Ultimately, that's the biggest thing we have to deal with. Uh, that if you don't believe in original sin, you hadn't had kids yet. And uh, when you have kids, one of the things you deal with is just their selfishness. And, and we have to confront that. And a lot of times we grow into adulthood and we never confront, our selfishness I I remember when we, when we get to that place and we finally see it I, I remember when I began to sense that coming on in me the first time it was explained to me you know God is aware of everything that you say and everything that you think and everything that you do that's when I started becoming aware I always thought it's okay as long as you don't get caught. Right? I mean, when your mom tells you don't eat a piece of that cake because it's for something else and you go and you just have to dab a little bit and you try to figure out how you can cut a little piece out and then try to cover it up. I remember one time my mom made some chocolate chip cookies and. She's, they were out cooling and you know, she made things from scratch like some of your moms did and grandmothers did. And and she had them sitting on the table and she said to me, now Don, don't eat these, I'll make you some later. This is for a party I'm having. Right. And I'm the guest of honor. (laughs) And and later on she came back and at that plate there were just a lot of little crumbs. And so she followed the crumbs to my bedroom, and I'm just sitting there and there's chocolate all around my face. And and she said, I, I hated this. Don, did you eat those chocolate chip cookies that I told you not to eat? I don't remember eating those chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> did you eat those chocolate chip cookies? Look at me. I mean, didn't you hate it when your parents said that? Look at me. And, you know, you didn't want to make that eye contact. And she said, look at me and tell me you didn't eat them. All right, some bad men showed up, and they brought me in here, and they forced them down my throat. She didn't buy it. (laughs) You know, that's kind of the way it is sometimes with God. We got the chocolate all over our face, and God said to Adam and Eve, "Did, did you eat from that tree I told you not to eat from? He knew the answer. And so that's the way. Well, here's the deal. Guilt, guilt makes you afraid. And uh, the first sign that the light of God is beginning to enter your soul is the feeling that something is wrong. Verse 4. Day and night. Your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. Stop trying to wipe the chocolate off my face. I said to myself, I... I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And God, you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Now stop and think about it. Our first point. If you want to be happy and at peace, then you've got to be honest about your sin. You have to be honest about it. I stopped trying to hide my guilt. D- David seems to be almost making a reference back to the Garden of Eden because that's what they did. The first thing when God came to find them and he knew exactly where they were and he called out to him, he said, where are you? And let me, let me just set it straight. God never asks a question because he's lacking information. He's trying to get you to see your situation. And so the first thing God did was try to call them out so that he could help them and deal with their situation. And then God symbolically, and he did it literally, he made coverings for them. They tried to cover themselves and it was not good enough. He, they took those fig leaves and they sewed together some things. And we try to cover our, sin, our sins and it's never good enough. We try to cover our sins by balancing out with good things. We, we try to make good deposits into our spiritual bank and we say, okay, this will outweigh that bad thing I did. We try to cover up our, our sins. It never works. So God had to remove their covering and he had to cover them the only way that it would actually deal with that sin. And that was sacrificing a lamb. And he was showing right up front from the very beginning. This is what my son's going to do for you. In order for God to cover your sin, you first must uncover it. That's confession. Or you could say it like this. You cover your sin, and God's going to expose it. But you expose your sin, and God will cover it. Think about that. Every time you try to cover your sin, God's going to expose it. But when you expose your sin to God, He will cover it. Let me read verse 5 again. And I want you to notice how many times he uses the word my. David said, finally I confess all my sins. Nobody else is his. All my sins to you. And I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I I was guilty. And deservedly so. And I've stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. Notice that. I mean, he sinned against Bathsheba. And he had sinned against his own people. And he sinned against Bathsheba's husband. And he said... My rebellion against the Lord. You see, you, you can do something wrong to somebody. You can mistreat somebody. You can abuse someone. But you need to see that you're doing it to God. It takes it to a whole nother level. And God, you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. So number two, do you want to be happy and at peace? Then you must own your sin. You must own it. I, I mean, typically, we want to justify our sin. When God confronted Adam and Eve, he turned to Adam and he said, hey, What have you done here? I mean, have you eaten from that tree I told you, have you eaten those chocolate chip cookies I told you not to eat? And in one sentence, Adam blamed two people. He said, God, the woman that you gave to me, I didn't ask for her. I was asleep during all that. The woman that you gave to me, she made me do it. We do that all the time. Uh, Maybe you say, well, the reason I'm like this is because of the situation I was born into, God. The parents you gave me. If I hadn't had, if I had had the privileges that other people had, then I wouldn't be this way. I've worked hard and I deserve more. My spouse isn't responsive to me, therefore I had to take care of myself. (coughs) What I'm doing is not that bad compared to some other people I know. Have you checked them out lately, God? Have you ever talked to yourself that way? Have you ever thought, I've put a lot of good deposits in my spiritual bank. I can afford to take a few withdrawals. Have you ever felt that way? You'll never, ever be happy that way. And that's not what David is saying. He said, yes, others have sinned against me, but I'm owning my own choices. I'm responsible. It's not the circumstances you put me in, God. It's what I've done to myself. In the words of the great philosophical think group tank, Led Zeppelin, they said, nobody's fault but mine. Own your sin. Has anyone ever apologized to you by saying, I'm sorry for what I did, but you... I mean, that's not a confession. That's them just trying to apologize with a a justification. God's forgiveness begins when the blame shifting ends. It's like taking a bath. You got to get naked first. If it's going to work. You got to come clean before holy God. If it's going to work. You've got to acknowledge. You've got to quit hiding. You've got to say, my sin. Verse 6. Therefore let all the godly pray to you while there is still time, that they may not be drowned in the floodwaters of judgment. Thinking about Noah there and their floodwaters of judgments coming again. Verse 7, for you are my hiding place. You protect me from trouble. You surround me. I love this. You surround me with songs of victory. And here's another. Let's stop and think about it. So the third point is, do you want to be happy and at peace? Then you must hide in God. Not hide in your sin. you got to expose that, but you hide in God. Again, going back to the Garden of Eden and slaying of an animal, such a picture of what Jesus was going to do. So God does not just forget about your sin or brush it aside. God defeated your sin. And I love this imagery that David gives. You surround me with songs of victory. When Jesus died on the cross, scripture says he cried out in a loud voice, it is finished. Now that's a song of victory. That's a song of victory that are sweet to the ears. Say that someone you loved now, I'm not recommending that you do this, but they're way behind in their car payment. And you lovingly go to the bank and you pay off the loan. And then a month later, the bank sends a collection agency to recover that car. You would, go, you would show up with the receipt and say, you cannot touch that car, it is paid for. It is paid in full. So, God did not just forget about your sin. God did not just brush it aside. God defeated it. He paid in full. And you have these voices inside and outside, always trying to condemn you of your sins. And Jesus doesn't deny that you did something wrong. But Jesus says, I paid their sin debt and you have no claim against them. So, the way you get rid of those internal voices of guilt, don't ignore them and don't argue with them, but drown them out with louder shouts of praise of the gospel. The enemy comes to you and says, You've messed up. I'm talking to believers now. You've messed up. You're no good. There's no hope for you. You say, No, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. That's a praise song. The enemy says, You have no future. You say, Jesus says, I know the plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope to use you for good and not for evil. The enemy says, You're a thief, you're a failure, you're a liar, you're untrustworthy. You say, yes, but the Bible says, and such were some of you, but you have been washed, you are justified, you are sanctified in the blood of Jesus, the Spirit of our God. Wow. You sing back praises of joy to the enemy every time he accuses you by using scripture, which is what Jesus did. Verse five again finally, I confessed. All my sins to you and stop trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. Let's go to verse eight. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Do not be like, oh, listen, I love this. This beautiful picture here. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit or a bridle to keep it under control. So, the fourth thing is if you want to be happy and at peace, then you must learn to hate your sin, not just its consequences. There's a difference. This word, confess, in verse 5, in the Septuagint, which was the Old Testament Bible language in the Greek, and, um, and that was the version that was used in Jesus' time, this implies something far beyond the word confession that you and I know. In the confession in the Greek means seeing things from the perspective of the one you've wronged. That's totally different. Not only are you admitting it, but you're changing the way you look at it. You're looking at it from the the viewpoint of the person you have, from God's viewpoint, or the individual's viewpoint that you've wounded. In the English, when we confess something... And not feel differently about it. Well, the classic expression is, if I offended you, I'm sorry. That's not a confession. That just means, I'm sorry that you're you're upset about it. I'm not really sorry, I'm just sorry you're upset about it. That's not repentance. Repentance. That's a cheap, selfish way of trying to make peace. Now, Some of you are kind of like, oh no, this has just become a marriage counseling sermon. Because <laughs> I want to tell you, if that's the way you're doing it in your marriage, it will pile up against you. There are some people, you've seen them, you read about them. They do something wrong. Society takes them and removes them from society. They go to prison for a period of time. They get out of prison, and they go and do the exact same crime again. Confession here in this Psalms, here's what it means. Now I see things, God, from your perspective. What I've done is wrong, very wrong. Many people confess their sin and turn it into, because of the consequences, are painful. They got caught, they're embarrassed, life is painful, but their attitude towards the sin itself has not changed. That's not real confession. Look at verse 9, nine again. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule That needs a bit or bridle to keep it under control. When a mule consents to go with you, it's not because it loves you and it wants to be near you, it's because he cannot stand the pain of that bit in its mouth. Don't be like that. God doesn't want people who obey like mules. He wants people who obey with their hearts. That's a whole new kind of obedience. You know, a lot of people avoid sin because they're afraid of what others might think about them if they get caught. That's not genuine repentance either because you don't really hate the sin. You just don't want people to think badly of you. I um, we got to see things from God's way. Verse ten: Many sorrows come to the wicked, but unfailing love surrounds those who trust the Lord. So rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All who obey Him shout for joy. All whose hearts are pure, and the only thing that makes your heart pure is the blood of Jesus. So the fifth point, if you want to be happy and at peace, you must actually change directions. Where there's no change, there's been no true confession. In fact, I might even suggest that when a believer confesses over and over again and never changes direction, that might even weary God. Some of the things that you do, we do just, sometimes we do it just to have enough done because of our church culture. But it's almost like this I've messed up, so I'm going to go to church for a while. God's not interested in your attendance, He's interested in your repentance. That's what He wants. Biblical confession, and listen to this, biblical confession is not perfection. It's not. But it is a new direction. You will often fail. But you get up and you go in the other direction. You confess and God forgives. I want to tell you, here's where I think the litmus test really is about forgiveness and finding forgiveness people who have gone through true mercy true repentance true confession true forgiveness people who've really gone through that those individuals will show a tenderness and a gentleness with those who are having the same deep issues themselves. Did you get that? But when you look at somebody who had the same who has the same problem that you've had or may still be having and you look at them with contempt contempt you look at them with judgment you've not experienced true confession. I've got a very dear friend, long-time friend. And he made a major mistake in his life and it cost him dearly. It cost him his marriage, his ministry, his family. We talk still some. And I remember talking one time not too long ago and he brought up a mutual friend and He started judging that person for a lesser sin than his own. And I wanted to go, wow, you just don't get it. You of all people are going to judge someone else? You of all people ought to have a tenderness and a compassion For somebody who pays a price for their sin. Because you've paid dearly for your mistake. And you want to be compassionate enough that you don't want anybody else to go through that. You want to be the kind of friend that goes to somebody, a friend who is struggling. You say, hey, I got something to tell you. I've never told you this. But I know how you feel. Because I did the same thing. And I want to help. You see, there, you're being a person who's really experienced true confession. When you go to somebody else and you say, I understand your struggle because I've been there. That's a person who's experienced true confession and true repentance. That's the litmus test. Instead of judging, looking down upon. I have people who come and see me from other churches because they're too embarrassed to tell their pastor what they're dealing with. So people will come and they will see me so I'm going to tell you a story. You don't know who they are because they don't go to this church. See me, text me later. I'll send you some initials. And no, I'm just kidding. But they came to me, and they were coming down really hard on a family member. It just went on and on and on. Now, I don't know people. If I, I mean, if I, if I haven't spent time with them, I don't know them. So I always pray, Lord, let me always ask the right questions. Let the Holy Spirit show me what questions to ask. And so I looked at the individual and I said, you know, you're coming down on this person really hard. I want to ask you a question. Tell me what your life was like when you were in college. And they just hung their head. Because their life in college was exactly like what this person was doing. I said, maybe if you started talking to your family member out of the confession and repentance you experienced instead of judging, maybe you'll get somewhere with them. I want to tell you, when you help someone to experience true restoration with the holy God, that fills your emotional tank like nothing else. To be a part of such a sacred thing, a holy moment, that's precious to holy God, and he allows you to be in on it. He allows you to be his spoke person, He allows you to share his words that the person needs to hear. Wow. Don't you want to experience something like that? You can when you start dealing honestly with yourself and truly experience God's forgiveness. It's not about being guilt-free that makes you happy. It's about being reconciled to God. That's what it's about. So our, our time today, I'm going to be at the front. I have some people that will pray with you. There are some of you that need to experience true forgiveness, maybe for the first time. Some of you, maybe you've been a believer a while, but you've been holding back and You're using church attendance trying to build up your feel-good bucket. There's some of you that you need to come and say, God, I'm available to be used by you to help someone who's dealt with the things I've dealt with. I'm available to be used by you. And and you see, that's, that's a scary thing to pray because that means you're willing to get vulnerable with somebody and reveal to somebody what you've dealt with. That's a little scary. But I want to tell you that's so freeing. I'll be here at the front. You come and you pray. In fact, let me pray for you right now. Father, thank you for these people that I love and care about so much. I pray, I pray that those who've have just not dealt with true repentance yet, that they will open up their hearts to that. They'll stop playing the blame game and trying to put it off on someone else. But rather, they will thank you For the guilt that you've allowed them experience as a pain receptor to say, something's not right, so I'm gonna let you experience some some guilt because you need to deal with something. And knowing that they can come to you and confess, and you are eager to forgive. And Lord, there's a lot of ministry that needs to be done in some people's lives in this room and in our community. And you want to use the people sitting right here to minister to them. So I pray that the individuals in this room will begin to allow themselves to be vulnerable and being used by you to help them find forgiveness, restoration, encouragement, to find true peace and joy. Let us hide in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.